Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. <laughs> Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, moms and dad, boys and girls, kids of all ages. Well, it's True Crime Uncensored, America's premier true crime podcast. We have dedicated followers on Spotify, you know, by the thousand of them. Wow. Pedge, Tattoo, how are you? How you doing? Better and better. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, I've been uh, listening to some of the uh, the other programs. You have such an exciting life. And, you know, uh, we here at uh, True Crime Uncensored are famous not only for being America's premier true crime podcast, going into 16 years of this, but not only do we have the top true crime writers, we also have some of the top true crime criminals (laughs) and some of the lesser-known associates of true crime criminals who give us insights into that world that some people are absolutely fascinated with. And from what I understand, you fell into the world of, shall we say, semi-organized or highly organized crime, much like a clean kid falls into a coal chute. Am I correct in that? Yeah, 100%. It was just, uh, I was kind of molded in it, you know, um, had a bad childhood and I didn't have a father figure, so all the father figures were just either criminals or gangsters, and I wanted to emulate that. That's how it all started. Did you? Uh, did this you is Mark Boyer, you, by the way, our co-host here. Did you okay. think, or did you feel like you had a choice? Um. Yeah, you always do have a choice, but like I said, I didn't have a father figure to steer me in the right direction, so um, I just made some poor choices, and once I got. Once I got into it, it's like quicksand. You know, it's either something wakes you up and you get out, or you just keep going until you know until the end. So, how old were you when you first found yourself looking to, shall we say, gangsters or mobsters <clears throat> as your role models? I was about thirteen. I started uh, I started uh, stealing bikes like ten, eleven, and I would hang out with older older people and. Uh, the older people were like, you know, up-and-coming gangsters, and I just wanted to emulate them. And then I boosted my first car, stole it. Um, I just, I just, you know, I just hung out with the wrong, with the wrong crowd. Anything that could further my criminal activity, that's what I did. I just kept hanging out with more people, learning more, you know, more street things. And right, right. But well, we had a guest on the show, a buddy of uh, maybe another fellow, Stan, from the uh, Russian uh, mob. And right. uh, he said, "Much the exact same story." Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty you know self explanatory. Like I said, if you don't have a father figure, and then again, if you do have a father figure and he's involved in that, uh, the circle doesn't break. But you know, my parents got divorced. My dad wasn't there. The guy that my mom was dating was a gangster, and I mean, I got exposed at an early age to guns, to drugs, to this. so it was just like natural. It just felt like comfortable for me, man. Right. It is what it is. I mean, you know. Yeah, because I mean, if that's what around, but if, if that's what you're surrounded by, that becomes exactly. your normal. Of, of course, of course. And you don't see anything strange about it. That's just the way it no. is. Yeah. And it's like I got a funny story for you. Um, after my son was born, um, I started to get a little bit out of the life, but the mentality. This is how funny it is. The mentality. I moved to northern Northern Jersey, so it's like population twenty two hundred in that town. And um, my son's got, you know, an acre of land. He could 
you know, run around, do what he needs to do. But me, like with the instinctual in my brain, um, I would drive by and see garage doors open. And I'd look in and be like, oh, look at these tools. I could, you know, I could steal these tools. I could make a quick buck. <laughs> that's just, that's how bad it is. Even though you try to get out of that life, the mentality, you know, it just keeps, it, it's that, that circle just keeps turning and turning right, and turning right. until you finally give, you know, you give up on it. That's like the guy walks into the bank. And even though he has not Robin Banks anymore, he knows where every camera is. You know, he's exactly. checking out everything. Exactly. You know which uh, which denomination is the trip bill? Yeah. Those yeah. things don't leave you. <clears throat> yeah. It's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's an insane life. You know, I'm glad that I could talk about it now and that I'm not involved in that no more. I still keep in contact with people from that life, but... It's a face not seen, face forgotten type of world, you know. I mean, you got respect, but if you're not in the game and you're not still running around doing, you know, doing things, heists or robberies or, you know, scams, it's been pretty much, you know, uh, almost nine years that I've left New York. I'm here in uh, in Florida, and it's just uh, it's a whole different life. Yeah, Florida is a different place. It's getting stranger it is. there. It is. <laughs> getting... Yeah, yeah. Now, it used to be that if you picked the country up from the east, all the nuts rolled to the west coast. Well, there I don't you go. Think now the they roll down to Florida. Yeah, the... yeah, that's what it is. It's honest, God honest truth. Everybody just rolled up into Florida now. You know? yeah. Strange days. So from 13 on, how did, give us a little story of your progression in terms sure. of connection. From 13. So, uh, con- connections. Um, a lot of the, the Italians that I grew up around... Um, you know, their dads were, you know, up-and-coming made members and, you know, of different crime families. And I got to find out in my, you know, from 13 on till 15, 16, I got to find out that these guys are made or, you know, like uh, they, they'd give us errands to do, but they wouldn't want their kids to do it. They would want the other other kids to do it, you know? Right. Um, and um, I got my connections for drugs through them. I got, uh, I, I started connecting uh, with other people too, like other ethnic people, like uh, Puerto Ricans, uh, Jamaicans, Russians, Albanians. I, I was kind of like networking everywhere. I was the go-to guy. You needed something, you'd call me up. I'd, I'd find a way to get it or get my hands on it and put it in your hands. So it's like you said, hey, I need a 560 SEL Mercedes. I'd be like, what color and what year? And, you know, I, w- I would find it, no questions asked. Um but um, it, it progressed. It went from, you know, uh, Grand Theft Auto, went up to robberies. It started going up, you know, to the point where I was I was known for a while in the streets as Pedge Two Guns because I would just carry two guns at all times. And, it, you know, it's not a great, you know, uh, moniker to have, you know, Pedge Two Guns. But, I mean, it is what it is. I was, I was kind of feared on the street. I was feared in the community, in the Serbian community. So, um, but I just kept. I kept hobnobbing and making more connections, and I ended up meeting um, a couple of very powerful Gambinos, very powerful Banano associates, and uh, uh, actual captains. And I met uh, Bosco Radoncic, which was, uh, he was running with the Westies, the Irish mob in, in uh, Hell's Kitchen. And I met him just at the time when he was taking over the Westies, and he became a non-Irishman to be to, to be a... Uh, a boss of the family. Yeah, I always felt so, that fascinating. You know, he, yeah, it's, he, it, he started it, off, it, you know, just being the driver for uh, Punch's dad. Um, well, actually, he 
I mean, I don't, I don't know about that. I know that he already had a few uh, car locks at the time. Right. He did, uh, he, he did get arrested, and he did a, a, I think it was a federal, a federal bid because he tried to blow up some Yugoslavian social clubs and I think a consulate. Um, right. He was very, he was very anti-communist. Um, but he was, he was, um, you know, uh, a man to be respected. He just made his bones real quick. Yep, and he after did. he did that jail stint, that was it. Yeah, he uh, he was someone to be respected, and there was a, a lot yeah. of respect for him, and uh, yeah. he was also very respectful of others. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at, in that time, I was 16, so between 16 and 18, I met so many, like, made men and, like, you know, uh, like top of the, you know, top of the echelon in the gangster world. So, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that I met these people, but like I said, everything that I do in life is a blessing and a curse. It's like... You know, you keep meeting these people, but then they keep wanting work out of you, and they see that, you know, you're a good earner, you're doing this, and then they give you more work. And, you know, you can get jammed up and then start doing, like, you know, big bits. Right. And, you know, it's not it's not a fun and games thing, you know. But I got, like I said, I met a lot of people along the along the way. Uh, Bosco introduced me to uh, Punch Stanimirovic, you know. Yeah. Um, I already knew his dad. I met his dad. um in a Yugoslavian, uh, like a social club restaurant. It was called Dubrovnik in the city. I met him there. I was introduced to him. Bosco introduced me to him, and this guy Yovo introduced me to him. Um, I ended up, like like from there, it was just, you know, you hobnob. You go here, you see somebody, you send them drinks. You know, they wave to you, they send you drinks back, and that's how you get known in that circle, you know? And then they start asking about you. are like, well, what's this kid doing? Like, you know, is he, you know, is he worth my time? Oh, yeah, he's a, he's an earner. He's, he's up and coming, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was, a, that was about it. But I never, I never ran in the crew for anybody individual. Um, you know, I, I did my own thing. I was a private contractor. Whoever was, you know, needing something, I was there to, you know, to do the work. And, um, you know, like I said, I was the go-to guy. Whatever you needed. If it was somebody came to me with a stolen Rolex, you know, I went to punch his dad, and I was just like, hey, what can you give me for this? He didn't give me a good enough price. I went to another fence. And um, that's pretty That's pretty much it for that. But um, I was I was always, like I said, a free contractor. I, I did what I wanted to do. I never I never showed affiliation to anybody except when I ran with, with that specific group. And I was like, let's say, uh, uh, late, late 90s, early 2000s, I was uh, running around uh, in the little clique of... Uh, uh, Bobby Glasses Vernasse, and he was he was one of three top Gambinos on the on the uh, commission for the Gambinos. He called the shots, so it was John Gotti, him, and a, and a third person. They were calling the shots: who gets clipped, who gets what, what gets done, who gets work. You know, it was right. just uh, that was that time. So I, I ran around, I did some some collections, a little couple of things, and um, you know. I got to throw his name around, which I never really did unless, you know. Unless you had it, to. It, you know, it, it hit the proverbial fan, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> what other kinds of uh, of activities did you involve yourself in besides, you know, fencing the odd watch? Right. Well, um, like I said, I did, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I did everything possible, like, you know, except for murder. You know, like, that's the only thing, you know. But... I did everything else. Like there was uh, shootouts, there was uh, bar fights. Uh, I got stabbed. Uh, we were all hanging out at a bar, and 
an opposing group that kind of knew us in the street. They didn't like us or whatever, and they just came and attacked us from behind. And it's like it spilled out from the club out into the street. Um, I took a bat to the head and I got stabbed. Uh, my friend ended up shooting somebody. It, that was just like a normal weekend. It was, um, you know, like I mean, I could wow. I could talk about it as a normal. Sounds weekend, like fun. But, <laughs> nah, I mean, it was fun then. I mean, you know, the the whole thing about living this life is when you're young, you know, you're invincible. You know, you you could take on the whole world. You don't care if you get shot. You don't care if you you know you murder somebody else or you you have to shoot somebody. You don't you don't really care when you're young. Um, you know, I'm glad that I got out of that life, and I'm glad that I never had a had to do something, you know, you know, that extreme, you know, I, I don't know if I could, I mean, I, if I had to do it, I would do it, but I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't be able to live with it. You know, a lot of, a lot of people that I did know in that life that did commit murders, it kind of haunts them forever, you know, like oh, they, yeah. they, they, they drink, they start doing drugs, and, you know, it's just, I mean, I already have enough on my plate that, you know, I have enough PTSD, you know, not to mention that I was in, um, you know, back in Bosnia, I, um, I had to do my, uh, my army stint cause I'm a dual citizen. So I had to go over there. So I got to see a little something over there that I really don't like talking about, but yeah, it's just, you know, I got enough PTSD from being in the street for 20 years and then, you know, um, being over there in Bosnia and then also intermingling with the, uh, Euro gangs in, in Belgrade, and Serbia. Uh, it's, I mean, gangsters are gangsters. doesn't matter. They have a swagger about them. They have a you know way about them. Um, you know the saying: uh, you can't you, you can't sleep with one eye closed, uh, both eyes closed. You have to have one eye open. That's how you sleep. And that's pretty much you know how you live. You, when you put your head on that pillow, you don't know if it's the last time you're ever going to put your head on that pillow. That's that's um, one of the things that set uh, Mr. Stan and Punch apart from the broader uh, criminal activity in New York. Yeah, they were, they were extremely they were non-violent. Bandits, yeah. They were not, yeah, no guns, no weapons. Yep. I mean, it's, 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 it's a smart way to be. It's very smart, but, um, you know, uh, they were, they were involved in, you know, stealing jewelry, uh, you know, whatever they were doing with the diamonds and all of that. That's a different, that's a different thing. And m- mostly everybody in that crime world, they have a niche. Their niche is, you know, one guy's for cars, one guy's for that. Me, I never could sit there and do one thing over and over and over. It was like I would do this for six months. Then I would do, let's say, like, you know, cigarette smuggling. You know, like I would, I would get cigarettes into the neighborhood. Uh, you know, I'd pay who I had to pay off, like a tax, so that they wouldn't, you know, step on my toes. And then six months of that, oh, I'd start doing something else, moving stolen stuff. You know, like whatever. Somebody would come to me, can you get rid of it yet? Um Whatever it was, like I said, I, I had a connection for, I could find it. I could, I could, for some reason I had this magnet, like somebody would come to me and say, Hey, I need this and this. And I'd be like, give me, give me three days. I would call a bunch of guys. I would go drive to Brooklyn, go to the Russians, you know, go to a uh, Rasputin, run into a few guys and be like, Hey, I need this and this, you know, anybody just to, just to make good on my word. Like, Hey, I got it for you. You can go pick it up. Just give me a little, little something on the side for my trouble. And, um, I, like I said, I, I mean, I wish I could be an expert in one thing, but I'm like a, I'm like a, a yeah. jack of all trades, yeah, master. Dilettante. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with Andrew DiDonato. Uh, um. Yeah. I mean, not not personal, personal, but yeah, from the neighborhood. And uh, he and I were talking one day, and he, he was saying what 
got about us. He said they were always telling me that, you know, we we got your back. We're always here for you. Uh, you know, is there any problem? Where, you know, where you're. That's a crock. He said that was a, a crock. That's exactly what he said. It was BS. It is. It is BS. It's, it's, let me tell you something. Um, now that I've been doing these podcasts and stuff, I did it because, you know, I wanted to put my story out there and I wanted people to see that, you know, I, I do have some morals and I do have like some uh, regrets and whatnot. I have a child, you know, he's, he's 19 now. It's like, uh, I moved to Florida to change, to change his life. I didn't want him being around those characters. I didn't want him to have to like look over his shoulder all the time. Um, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse, like I said, but you know, they're, when you're making money for them, everything is great. When you got to take the fall, everybody runs. Nobody wants to help you. It's a crock. Um, your best friend is the person who's going to put a gun behind your neck, you know, behind your head and pull the trigger. Uh, I've, I've been in that situation about six times where I didn't, I didn't think I was coming back. I got into the car and I just was like, this is it. Um, it's not a fun, it's not a fun feeling. And, uh, that's kind of like one of the reasons I had a really nice mentor and that mentor, which was, uh, Bobby glasses. He, he told me, cause you got a kid, get out of here. You live in Jersey. Why you keep coming back here? You know, like he, he was the only one that kind of like saw some other potential in me. He goes, whatever you touch turns to gold. He goes, just go, just get out of this life. And when I got divorced and I had to come back to Queens, he was already locked up for life and a couple of other guys, and his protege, Guy Vito, and then he told me too, he goes, Pedge, are you doing this and this? And I said, no. He goes, Pedge, if I know you're doing this and this, all the rats out there know you're doing this. And he goes, you want to go to jail now in your, in your 40s, late 40s? And I was like, no. He goes, pack up your shit and get the hell out of here. Go, disappear. And I was like, yeah, all right, you got a point. And that's how I ended up in Florida. That was a good move. It was the best move I ever I ever made because right before I left, I'm, I, I met another woman. Um, she came down with me from New York. You know, and I was, like I said, I, I was in a remission from cancer. I got divorced. Um, I lost everything. You know, easy come, easy go. Everything that I had, everything that I built up, gone. I had to come and start from zero you know, in Florida. And it is what it is. I did it. You know, like I said, I'm very entrepreneurial. It's not, it's not like I can't, you know, make a dollar or whatever, but. You know, um, I just laid low, kept away from people. Um, I went back to New York a few times, but I kept seeing the way it changed, the way the people were. Yeah, I was getting respect from certain people because they know I wouldn't talk. And But a lot of people were just, you know, locked up, uh, being very grimy, you know, uh, digging for information because, you know, if they get pinched, they could drop you. And I'm like, That's right. I'm not, yeah, not going to do it. Give us three others and you walk. Of course, of course, and that's the whole game. The feds, they just love to nail one guy to the cross, and then, you know, they make him squeal. And that guy, of course, he's looking at, he's, you know, 35, 40 years old. He's not, he's not going to do 20 years on a chin. Those hardcore gangsters, like, back in the early 80s and early 90s, they don't exist anymore, you know? So. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not like the movies. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, the movies glorifies it and makes it look so beautiful, and you know, it's it's all cinema. But you're like when I watched um, when I watched uh, Casino, or if I watched the uh, Goodfellas, you know, even the Sopranos. You know, I love watching the Sopranos in rerun because that 
basically captured how how mob mentality is. You know, to your face, hey, yeah, how you doing? You're great. Oh, yeah, we love you. The minute you walk out the room, yo, we got to whack that guy. You know, it's like that's exactly how it is. It's like everybody's jealous. The rules don't apply to them. Oh, you can't look at another guy's girl. You can't, you know, screw with a made man. You can't put your hands on him. But you know what? Nine out of ten times they don't want to talk about it. You know, I've, I've seen some made guys get smacked. And then, oh, I, I, they go to a sit-down. Yeah, I want to whack this guy. I got the right. I'm a, I'm, I'm a captain. It doesn't happen. It's like this guy, to give you a quick story, uh, it was a guy, Frankie Fertolino, and I said about it in some of my other interviews. You know, he, he basically shot a dude, you know, during a poker game. And he shot the guy three times in the chest. Sure enough, two, three days later, there's a sit-down. And because his brother's a, you know, a captain in the banana crime family, he gets a pass. I don't know if he had to pay a, a tax or whatever, but it was like you stay out of, you know, you stay out of his way, he stays out of your way, and it's done. It was like, like forgiven, you know, like so. Yeah, I mean, King's X. Yeah. I, I don't believe in that. Like they have that code and all of that. Some guys still follow the code to the T, but those guys are all old time gangsters, and they really aren't around. I mean, they just they just caught these guys in in, uh, in Ontario initiating two guys into the bananas, and I'm like, they ha the one guy was a rat. He was recording the whole thing. He had a video of the of the you know initiation going down. The guy getting his button. So you know, and the guys that I knew from the neighborhood too. I just found out the other day this guy's been a rat for the last nine or ten years, and even before, like in the early 2000s, he was given inside information on the Giannini crew. And it's like, you know, and then they let him back on the street and now he's dropping more guys. You know, it's like, I, I just don't understand. It's just that, that, that life that I, I initiated into and I, you know, like I was growing into. Yeah. In the beginning it was all about honor and this and that and respect. And, you know, I was more Italian than Italians were, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, it's just, it's a farce, it's, it's a story, it's a, it's a pipe dream, you know, yeah, it's a pipe dream. You and uh, Andrew DiDonato are just, it sounds like an echo chamber. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I can't sit there, I, met, I made a lot of good friends in that life, and there's people like, you know, that reach out to me to this day and say, hey, you're a man of respect, you know, you never talk, you always did this, you kept your mouth shut, okay, but there's a lot of guys that they see me doing these, you know, shows, and I don't, I don't talk about anybody if I don't get permission. I don't just drop people's names. And then if you notice in any of my interviews, I only drop people's names that are either no longer with us, but I have, I have photographic evidence, you know, like that I was with them. You know, like uh, there's other people that can corroborate, like Punch. Punch can corroborate that we were in the same Serbian mafia circle, the same names, the same people. You know, uh, when he came out in 99, this guy, uh, Jovo Pudar, he was a, a professional boxer. He used to work for me in my bar. He went, uh, after he stopped working for me in my bar, and he let, you know, Punch live with him for a bit, you know, in the city. So we all we all were connected, and I have people that will vouch for me. But um, I'm not looking to jam anybody up. I'm not looking to get anybody in trouble. I just really, I want a story to come out that you could, you could change your life. When you start seeing that you're going the wrong way, you can go the other way. You know, if you got that kind of smart, sweet smart that you could hustle and make money, well, do it legit. You could do it legit. I mean, I've had about four or five businesses, but I always was drawn to that life because 
It's easy money. It's just something that it was like I was really good at it, you know? But, you know, you take a look at some of these uh, Bob guys yeah. making millions here. We made a millions off of this deal. Yeah, but we where's made, the money? Yeah, where's, the, where's money? the money? Where the hell Money's is the money? Look, let me explain to you. Um, I was just, I was talking to Punch about uh, two months ago. And I was telling him, I said, if if I would have kept that money that I was dishing out on the street, I, I would be rich beyond all belief. I mean, I would I would have been like, you know, mega rich. But just to go out, like, on a, on a Thursday night, and let's say you go to a, a gentleman's club, or you go to a, a bar, a local bar, where all these, all these connections are happening. You go in there, and you're blowing money. So you're getting something to eat. You're throwing drinks. You're, you know, you're sending drinks one way. Um, you know, if it's strippers, you're spending the money on the strippers. You're getting a couple of these guys' lap dances. By the end of the night, you got a good 1500 to $3,000 bill. Now, this is Thursday. Friday, Saturday, you make the rounds, you go to restaurants, just to hobnob, you say, you, you, you pick up this guy's tab, you pick up that guy's tab, all in the hopes of making a connection or two down the line, they'll throw you a bone and say, hey, there's a heist happening, you want in, oh, there's a truck coming in with goods, you want in, you know, that's right. what you do, so you're blowing, you know, if you do the math, 3000 a night times four, and that's going on every Every weekend, every month, by the end of the year, you have blown just in entertainment and connections well over a hundred and something thousand dollars. And it's just you're lucky if you make that hundred and something thousand back, you know. And if you do, it, again, you just you just keep feeding this world, you know, you, this this life that you're that you're leading. Plus, if you go in on a bid and you got a bunch of money and you put it out, supposedly it's interest. You can come out of your bid and it ain't there. Yeah, it's not there because uh, I'll be honest with you. I know a couple of guys that went in and they had money on the street. And when the time came and they came out, oh, yeah, you know what? It was slow. It's the recession, COVID, whatever the story may be. Your money's not there. They'll give you the original money you put in, but you're not getting no interest. Because think about it. If you're making four points and your man goes in and now you're collecting four points, are you really going to put those two points on the side? Maybe the first year he's in, you're going to put a little commentary for him, you know, but then, you know, they get really greedy. They're like, oh, but you know all those times I had to drive up to go see you, you know. Yeah, uh, you know gas is expensive, day. yeah. Yeah, it's just, they, they'll find an excuse. It's like, it's very rare, it's very rare that anybody, like, really takes care of you. I mean, you got to be, you got to be a boss or you got to be like a big captain for anybody to like really throw things your way. But if you're an associate, ain't happening. Yeah. And people always have that, gee, they hope is real. And then they find out it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. I mean, what, 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 what opened up my eyes, you know, like I said, I, I kind of grew up with the Italian. So I was kind of Italian. I was like, uh, I thought for a bit they were calling me Pej Goomba because I was like a Goomba. I was just like an Italian. But an Italian guy told me, he goes, you know what? He goes, you know, you're kind of like crapping on your, your own people. And I'm like, well, no, it's just that there's not a lot of my people around. It's a different neighborhood. No, you, you got to take the Italian colors down. You got you to gotta try to act like what you are, who you are. You know, you're Serbian. You know, you're Serbian-Romanian. You should find out, you know, what your people are about. And... I mean, I knew what my people were about, but it was just, you know, they all looked at me as like, you know, I was, you know, a black sheep, you know, because yeah, there wasn't maybe, a lot of yeah. gangsters. 
yeah, there wasn't a lot of gangsters. And, yeah, like, you know, there was gangsters. Like, I was known. Like, oh, yeah, he's, he's connected. Don't mess with that guy. He's connected. And then when I used to go into, like, Serbian establishments, it was like, it, it was, yeah, I don't know. It was just all hell would break. It's like, you know, like the, the cowboy bars, uh, the saloons back in the day, the way it was. Right. Where you don't know if you're going to walk in. You know, you walk in, they call you, uh, you know, you're yellow, this and that. Same thing in Serbian bars. It's like that mentality. It's like a cowboy mentality. You walk in there, guy's got six, seven drinks in him, talks back to you. Uh, are you going to take it or are you a man of respect or whatever? Uh, I was known, you know, I've, I've shot a few fucking, you know, I've shot a few people. I'm going to be honest. It's like, it happens. It happens in that life. You know, you get drunk. That gives you more motivation to do something stupid. You know? Yeah, that is a fact. That's a fact. So, um, like I said, I mean, when I was younger, I was just headstrong and I was just, I was invincible. Oh yeah. That's the thing. uh, People, when they're young, you think, you think you can do anything, which is a plus. In some yeah, ways, yeah. Orson Welles, yeah. the famous director, who uh, Matt Allen, my producer, had a great pleasure of meeting in person, and I had the great pleasure of, of working for, uh, not in person, but by phone right. and you know text and checks, which I liked, <laughs> said that's what he strove to do right. was to maintain in his advancing years that same youthful feeling of invincibility of that. Right. I can just do this and it'll work yep. because it's me and I can do this. And if you can maintain that, you know, without, because you reach a certain point of maturity where you realize how big the world is and all the things that are stacked against you, you go, wow, how the hell did I manage to do that? Yeah. <laughs> because it, you didn't know any so better. True. Yeah, I mean, like, I kind of knew better, but I still wanted to do bad because it was just, it was my name. You know, uh, when I grew up, I was bullied, you know? So I came to America at a young age. I was bullied. Uh, I got beat up a lot. My mom put me in karate. And the guy that she was dating at the time, he was a black belt in Hapkido. And basically he taught me, like, don't just do this and do that. You know, punch him in the throat, punch him in the chest, you know, break his legs, sweep the knee. Like, he taught me really bad stuff. And I got into a first fight. These three kids were bullying me on a regular basis, and the kid came up, and I just cracked him dead in the face, broke his nose. The other kids ran off. I got suspended because it was in front of the school. But um, after that, I got a reputation in the neighborhood. Don't mess with Pedge, man. He'll, not, he'll, like, break your nose. And then I got a little I got a little ballsy. Like, you know, I would be like, I'd go to a bigger guy and be like, yo, what's up? What are you looking at? And, you know. And let him swing on me, and then I just like demolish him, you know. And you know, like I said, as I got older, things happened. I got shot. A, a, a bad drug deal gone bad, or they were trying to send a message: you can't deal in this area. They shot me in the leg. Um, then I got stabbed in the kidney one time. It was just—it is what it is. I mean, you know, uh, I, like I said, I did what I did. I don't want my kid doing any of this. You know, when my kid started to realize that his dad is a gangster. You know, it kind of broke my heart. He overheard a conversation, and um, this guy did 15 years. He came out, and, uh, you know, he got my number, and we started talking. And, I, you know, my son was in the other room. He was about, you're going to say, seven. And he went in the, you know, he was in the other room playing, um, playing video games. But 
he was at that curious stage where one ear on the video games, one ear on me. And I didn't realize right. I thought I could talk in front of him. I thought he was lost in his video games. I go upstairs, and he's like, yo, dad, you threw in the trunk. Did you kill us? I, I fell to my knees, and I was like, what are you talking about? He said word for word what I was saying to this guy on the phone. You remember when I threw that guy in the trunk? We got him stripped him naked at the beach, made him walk home, you know, teach him a lesson. And he heard that, and he, he thought of it like as in the video game. And I said, you know, I said, look, daddy was bad. Daddy did some bad things. I don't want to talk about it, but this kid was insisting every day. But, Daddy, but what did you do? But tell me, are you like uh, Nico Bellich from uh, Grand Theft Auto? And, it, it, you know, for all intents and purposes, I am. I am Nico Bellich. Guy came from Bosnia. My dad's from Bosnia. You know, uh, he came here. He made his bones. I made my bones. But I don't know how the story ends. But, you know, my story so far, it's going good, meaning I got out of that life. And, you know, um, it was, it was the worst thing going back to Queens after my divorce and my son running into people that I knew. And it was all gangsters in the street. And they were like, hey, what's up? And they would look at my son and give him $50 and go, hey, you know, your, man, your dad's a man of respect. You know, look up to him. And, I, you know, and my son is like, who's this guy? And I'm like, well, that guy tried to kill me. You know, and my son goes, what? He's like, why are you talking to him? And I'm like, listen, business is business. He realized it was a mistake. You know, and now he's he's got a lot of respect for me. But that's the kind of, that's the way that life is. You always hold that grudge until, like, you get more power, and then you're like, you know what, I want to get rid of this guy. Or you set the guy up, you know, for a fall. People don't let that kind of stuff go. It is it is what it is, I mean. The witches you know, stays life, there in festers. Yeah, and, I, you know, my, you know I, I'd go to Home Depot, and I'd run into somebody, I'd make it like a... Me not trying to make a connection. I'm walking with my son, and I'm like, you know, I go to him, Marco, stay right there. Let me go talk to this guy. And I'm talking to the guy, and the guy's like, hey, I got this, I got that, I got laptops, you know, you can you move them? I'm like, yeah, I need the money right now. You know, I just got, you know, divorced, and I'm, you know, uh, the bank took my house in Jersey. I'm like, yeah, I need to make money. And my son is just looking at me, and I'm like, what kind of example am I setting? Like, I'm doing it almost in front of him. So I was just like, this is it, you know. Going into restaurants like pizzerias, and I'd be ordering a hundred dollars worth of food—clams and you know calzones and you know chicken rolls and you know meals, whatever the whatever I wanted. They were like, "Ah, oh, don't worry about it. you. Don't gotta pay." This this went on every time I went out. It was like you don't gotta pay because they want they wanted to take care of me because they knew I was somebody in the street, and if the if the time came and they needed a favor, I'd come through. You know, and. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a great life. I miss it. I miss that part of it, the respect and the not paying for stuff and drinks being sent my way. But like I said, I don't got to sleep with one eye open, one eye closed. I don't. I put my head on the pillow now. I'm legit. I'm 100% legit, you know. Um, where I used to carry a gun for 20-something years illegally, I carry it legally now. I expunge my record. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm clean. Um, I got a good woman with me now, respects me. And that's it. It's. That's the best way to be. I wish I could have did this, you know, way back when. But when you're young, you're dumb, and you're full <laughs> right. of you-know-what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, of course, I'm, I'm older than you by no, quite sir. a bit. Okay. How, how old are you, by the way, Pitch? Uh, 55 next month. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm old enough to be your father, your grandfather. There you go. Yeah, I'm 76 now. Well, God bless and uh, after the, I keep thinking, well, gee, am I all done now, or do I have enough creativity in me 
to do something else good before I go you to do. the got, great dive bar in the sky. Yeah, you always have. You know, like, you never stop learning. You keep, you know, uh, it's like, it doesn't matter. I could be 70, and I know I'm, not, I'm never going to stop learning. I'm always going to be learning something. I'm always going to be amazed at the way things are. You know, I don't like touching political subjects or, you know, uh, the way the way that the times have changed from when I grew up. But uh, I think we're just we're heading in a really bad direction. Well, you know, uh, uh, things could get awfully, awfully bad before they yep. get yep. awfully, awfully good. I personally yep. think yep. that the future of this country and this planet is unspeakably glorious. But yeah. uh, you know what? How the teenage years are—you kind of yeah. get dragged kicking and screaming into maturity, and we have a very immature planet. Uh, yeah. You know, the world doesn't need much more preaching and rules. It needs a little unity and fellowship and cooperation. At least that's yeah, my point. I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. And you know, like with with my son, uh, you know, I was I was a latchkey kid. My you know what? What I remember it was it was a bad childhood. My dad always beating on my mom, being drunk, you know, destroying furniture. That's not a great example. No. But um, for my son, I became his best friend. Um, you know, he respects me as a father, but he respects me as a friend. We don't keep any secrets from each other. Um, you know, I went through my divorce, and it hurt him very, very badly. But you know. At the end of the day, I know if my son goes somewhere and he takes the car, he's going to call me every half an hour or text me. Hey, this is good. We're hanging out. We're doing this. You know, if he does decide to have a drink or something, he'll just call me and be like, can you come get me because I don't want to drive the car. Smart. And I'm like, okay, no problem. Smart. You know? Got to admire a kid yeah. like that. Yeah, I do. I, I'm very I'm very proud to have him. And we go to the gym, and I, I have a little following in the gym. You know, there's a lot of older people. Um, you know, 60s, 70s, and they all tell me, oh, my God, if I could have a kid, I'd, I'd love to have Marco. And I'm like, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, it means the world to me. And everybody just loves to see us together because it's like we, we you know, we laugh. We have the same mentality. You know, we're we're childish, you know. And um, it, I think I did good by, you know, instilling in him what my dad didn't instill in me. And I'm always in his life, and I'm always showing him, like, this is what you could do. You're not going to do what I did. You're not walking in my shoes. There's no reason, you know. So yeah, he's the uh, first one, and he's the first one to go to to graduate. I didn't graduate high school. He graduated. Now he's in college. He's taking up uh, cybersecurity. So you know, hopefully he's gonna he's gonna be something. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, oh, interesting. I, so I was uh, recently in Nevada, and uh, I met this fellow. I've got to have on the shows. The beginning of his story is similar to yours. Yeah. The way he uh, he grew up, family life, you know, his uh, dad was beating on his mom and blah, 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 and one thing and another. Yeah. And uh, he winds up becoming an alcoholic and a heroin addict and a bank robber. Wow. And uh, actually winds up in the, uh, the state where I'm from, and he actually winds up in my hometown, Walla Walla, Washington, in the prison there. Okay, and uh, he winds up there for a, a long, for a long, long time. In fact, okay. I think it was like a three strikes deal. Okay, but uh, he had been in his bank robbery, hooked up with this other guy in Yakima, Washington, 
and he gets convicted on this third strike on this bank robbery in Yakima, and yet, and he had enough time in prison to do a little legal research, there was never any evidence presented that he was there. No one ever saw him there. The only person who said that he was there was the other guy who robbed the bank. But there was never any actual evidence that he was even there. Now, he may have been there, but... It was just a witness to hearsay. I got you. And so, actually, he presented this finally. He went, by God, you're right. We apologize. (laughs) And they let him out for time served and apologized to him because he shouldn't have been convicted because there was never any evidence that he was even there. Yeah, that would have that would have ticked me off. I'll tell you that. I I would have been like trying to sue them to you know give me back some some of my life back. You know. Yeah, well, I just I just saw on the TV last night this guy had been in prison for fifty years for forty nine years for a crime he didn't commit. Yep. And they finally let him out, and the uh, his attorney had managed to come up with evidence that had never been presented. They've been held back. It showed he couldn't possibly have done yeah. it. And Geronimo Pratt, what, 25 years? Most of it in solitary? That's crazy. And the FBI admitted they framed him, paid him $16 oh. million, But that doesn't wow. give you back to that time of your life. No, it don't. Especially prison. I mean, prison changes you completely. I mean, uh, everybody that I know that did long stints, they just, they're not the same people anymore mentally. It's just that the prison breaks you down and it makes you in a different world. It's like, you know, what you have on the outside is one thing, but what you go on the inside is totally different. Totally different. Yeah, so, I, uh, I, I used to teach inside Washington State Penitentiary uh, to help reduce recidivism. Right. And uh, <laughs> did a lot of talk about self-reliance, you know, making decisions in your own yeah. best interest. And one yeah. guy comes up to me afterwards. He didn't quite grasp what I was trying to teach. He says, thank you so much. Next time I pull a bank job, I'm doing it all by myself. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> but there was another That's guy. This is my, I got to share this story with you. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. We're teaching this class, right? And there was a guy who'd been in there at Washington State Penitentiary for decades. He's supposed to be getting out. He doesn't want to go get out. I mean, he has been there so long, right. like 50 years, that's, 60 That's years. all he knows, yeah. yeah. And then he doesn't, and what's he going to do if he gets out? You don't know. What he knows, what he's like, I mean, he's, he's an yeah. old guy now. He wants to stay. And so he says, I've come up with a plan using your techniques. He says, I'm going to walk out of this penitentiary. I'm going to get on the bus. I'm going to go downtown to the Red Apple Cafe. And have a cup of coffee. He says, and they're going to find, and I'm going to tell people, that's where I'm going to be. And they'll come and they'll find me at the Red Apple having a cup of coffee. And that'll add 15 years to my sentence, which is all I need, because he was an elderly guy. Wow. Well, I came back a few months later, and sure enough, he was still there. He's got a big smile on his face. He comes to my class. He says, well, it worked. He says, I... <laughs> He says, I did everything. He says, and I read about the uh, uh, the Native Americans in Florida, by the way. 
who are the world's okay. greatest uh, trackers. You know, they could withhold their energy so they could go right. anywhere and people didn't even see him, you know. And he was just walked right out of that prison, took the bus down to the Red Apple Cafe. Wow. Sat there and drank coffee until they came and got him. Wow. And put 15 years on his sentence, which is just what he needed. Yes, it's exactly, yeah. And he was a he happy had, He man. had a goal. He had a goal, and you set it, and he, he's completed yeah. it. They say it takes three things, knowledge, volition, and action. Know what you yep. want to do, decide you're going to do it, and then actually yep. take the steps and the energy to accomplish it. Most 100%. people do step one, and that's it. Yeah, that's what everybody. It's like the you know the the end of the year after the holidays. Everybody joins the gym in, in January. Oh yeah, I'm gonna lose this weight. I'm gonna. They get in like a month of it, and it's like done. They they yeah. just disappear. It, it, it takes dedication. I mean, you know. Yeah, anything you got to commit to it to do it. Whatever yeah, it is. Like I said, it's it's super hard. Like when I came to Florida, I still was in the mentality of trying to hustle, you know. But everybody I met, I was like weary of them. Because here, it's just a flakier type of people. It's not like in New York, you know? But um, I just was, like, trying to stay away. I'd go to the gym. I got into a couple of altercations with some people, you know, and I'm quick to fly off the handle. There's no, you know, I did, I did like, you know, mixed martial arts. So it's like, I really don't care. You know, I, I do what I got to do. But um, now, I, I kind of, like, take a breath, turn my, you know, turn the cheek the other way, let the guy talk all he's going to talk. I'll just warn him and tell him, yo, you want to continue to go this path? Because, you know, I don't want to get locked up, but if I have to, I will. That, that's just it. I'm not I'm not going to do it. But um, I, I noticed, I mean, like, I don't want to go out no more in crowds. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with younger, younger people because I know they, you know, they get a little alcohol in them. They just fly off. So I, I noticed myself changing everything about my life, you know, from when I go shopping, from where I go, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't like the nightlife anymore. I mean, when you're young, that's the important thing. You know, you want the nightlife. You want to go out. You want to show off. Ah, I'm not about showing off anymore. I'm, I got rid of all my suits. I don't even dress up nice. I just dre- dress up in, like, gym gear. That's my day. I just go to the gym, come back, stay home, read, you know, enjoy my son, enjoy the family, and that's it. Hey, that sounds like a good life to me. Yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> it's, you know, it's good. It's good. It's better than it's better than what I was doing before. I mean, you know, there was excitement to that life, but like I said, you gotta, you know, you gotta have two eyes in the back of your head as well, and you you don't lay your head on the pillow correct, you know. So now I can. So now that I see, I got you know nine years of me laying my head on the pillow correct. That's just what I want to keep doing. Just yeah, wanna, what you know, was get the? Uh, can't remember which one of the philosophers said it, but it was if your goal had been to amass money. You know, in this life, you should have been planning exactly how to do it while you were in the womb of your mother, because that's yeah. when you were approaching this dimension. Yep. Ever yep. since you attained maturity, you've been on your way out. It's already gone. Yep. <laughs> You're wasting it is, your time. It is. I mean, I I remember seeing a cartoon, um, and I told my son this when he was little. Uh, the cartoon, I forgot where I seen it. It was a uh, father and his son walking. And it's like a lot of hills, and it just says, now entering adulthood. And then it says, beware of the BS. So I told my son that always. And I said, beware of the BS. Beware. Yeah, yeah, okay, Dad, yeah, okay. So one day it clicked. You know, I think he was like 12, 13. He goes, Dad, 
why are girls like this? And why are my friends like this? And I said, I told you, BS, man. Welcome to adulthood. This is what it is, you know? This is how life is going to be. you got to learn to navigate around this kind of stuff. Yeah, that you reach a certain point where you decide what you want in your life and what you don't, and that you don't need yeah. things in your life that you don't need. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, like I just, I want a stress-free life. Uh, I want peace. So it's like at all costs. I, I don't care. It's like if I have, I, I, my circle is very small now. Even if somebody could, like from the past gets involved in my my day-to-day, you know, life and it's just not something positive, it's negative, I cut them off. You know, like I used to have, 300 friends on Facebook. Now I'm down to 44. It's because I just want, I want a good camaraderie. I just want something very, very good and positive around me. I just don't need negativity. I don't need stress. I sure as hell don't need aggravation. So. Oh, yeah, that's aggravation is easy to find. Oh, dude, you just walk, you just walk out of your door and it's aggravation. You know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I got like a, a weird mindset. It's just, you know, I look at everything like, you know, something's going to go wrong because, you know, my life, everything is always going wrong. You know, it's just, it is what it is. Well, try but, to create um, positive images. Yeah, know? yeah. They say, well, whatever you concentrate upon is what you're going to attract. So always yeah. try to create positive images, you know. People sometimes get negative and I'll interrupt them. So I say, think a happy thought. You'll feel better. Yeah, it's, it, it's true, but like... You know, when you're in that mobster life and gangster life, eh, the only positive thing is to make money. Everything else is just, this guy's getting over on you. This guy's trying to, like, you know, uh, cut you out of the deal. It's just, it's it's nothing but, you're like, stress all the time. It's always stress, you know? Yeah, well, Mark Boyer isn't stressed today. He's retired. Very. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wondering... Um, you were considering a podcast. Uh, well, I am. I'm in. I'm in the. I'm in the process of making my podcast. But yeah. Engineering the podcast while you're broadcasting is a PIA. Okay. Very difficult. You might consider having somebody run the board for you. Gotcha. And you're also uh, we're thinking or toying with the idea of uh, publishing your story. Yeah, I started writing because I looked it up and it says you got to devote 30 minutes a day. And so I, even though I got writer's block or I'm getting off topic, I I try to do every day 30 minutes. If I got writer's block, I'll sit there and stare at the paper. But I've got about 125 pages of interesting stories and, you know, details of how I grew up and such. Well, you have Burl here. Oh, I, uh, I know he that. He is a uh, award-winning uh, we, we author. Spoke. He can help. And then yes. we have connections with Wild Blue Press Fantastic. that can help you publish. Fantastic. I appreciate that. And uh, even if, and I'm telling this to other people that they're writing the story, that even if it doesn't turn into a book for the public, it's something that your son and his family... That I could leave, yes, that I could leave behind. I'll course. tell you, this is a family that I met Christmas one year. And they had this box, and it was like stories, handwritten, going back to the 1800s. Wow. Because every year at Christmas, someone would write the story and save it in the box. They'd gone back over 100 years. That's that's insane. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the show today. 
No worries. I appreciate it. It was, a, it was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you very Fantastic. much. Fantastic. We'll talk again. We'll have more you fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, Pearl. Yeah. What's next?